This recording may contain language and or content not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. You can listen to us on iTunes. Just search JDSO. And you can listen to us on Stitcher. Just search Declassified. Previously on Joe Declassified Spec Ops. Refresh my memory now. I, 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 I used to be a regular on this show. JDSO would like to thank Toyfinity.com for their permission to use certain images and information for this episode. Tonight on Joe Declassified Spec Ops. Things that could have been, things that were not, but are, and things that are things that are not things that are things after all. Jurassic Park, James Bond Jr., Stargate, Robocop, Marvel, Congo, The Clone Wars, Titan AE, Batman VR Troopers, and that's just the G.I. Joe stuff. Welcome to Joe Declassified Spec Ops. All right, hello and welcome to episode 7 of Joe Declassified Spec Ops. And while it's been quite a while since we've sat down to record an episode of the podcast, the Declassified team has been busy elsewhere. Uh, This year we took the Joe Declassified booth experience on the road for the first time, other than Joe Con, to several conventions around the United States as well as a stop up north with our friends in Canada. Uh, We of course hit Joe Con in New Orleans and then Canada Con in Canada, where we also hosted the very first ever Joe Declassified panel, uh, which has gotten some great feedback. So a huge thanks to Mike Heddle and the CanadaCon guys for letting us experiment a bit with doing a panel for everyone up there. Uh, after that, we landed ourselves at the ever-growing CoilCon for CoilCon 3 in Indiana. If you haven't seen the CoilCon documentary, it is up on YouTube. Just search CoilCon documentary. Uh, then Sam and Drew, uh, a.k.a. Dryhawk, set up camp over in Sacramento at the Sacramento Toy Show. And after that, Roshan and I squeezed ourselves into the Kane County Toy Show here in Illinois. Uh, we finished this first year of Joe Declassified booth touring in Iowa at the Assembly Required Meet in uh, Iowa. So while we've been a bit silent, we've definitely been a bit busy. Um, we'll go around the Skype room and do some roll call, but first I'd like to introduce everyone listening, assuming you don't know who he is, of course, to Mr. Jason Wells, a.k.a. Viper109. Uh, good evening, Jason. How are things? Hi, Gary. Hello, everybody. Um, Jason Wells, also known as Viper109, uh, maybe Bad Doc on YoJo. What's your uh, role with Declassified? How long have you been attached to the organization? Uh, how come I've never heard of you? Or are you an intern? Oh, my uh, involvement in Declassified. Well, let's see. Is it classified? No. Um, several years back, uh, Sam, Sam Damon, a.k.a. Nomad, came said, I have this wonderful idea, and he came to a group of Joe fans and says, I have this wonderful idea, and this is what I want to do, and he laid out the declassified uh, mission statement, so to speak. Being the uber super fan that I am and true believer, I went, uh, just tell me what you need me to do, and since then, that's pretty much been my involvement, whatever Sam needs me to do. Uh, Originally, I funding was short, so I did a lot of the funding for the uh, original declassified booths the first couple of years. Um, I, didn't, I wasn't there. I was unfortunately deployed most of those times. But other than that, I mean, I've just been 
whatever Sam needs me to do and behind the scenes, um, pushing the declassified idea. All right. Well, it's great to have you and uh, finally on the podcast. And uh, we're also joined by uh, by Jared Bernal, a.k.a. Jamin Stone. Jared, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Gary? I'm all right. Uh, have you gotten any snow up there? Down there, I should say? Uh, yeah, oh, we got hit uh, around there with about a foot uh, about a week ago, but it's all gone now. Wow, fancy. Now, we got like a sprinkle. Like literally, it was just on the roof of my car, just one little blotch, and I never saw it again, so I'm happy about that. Uh, we're also joined by Brian Kaufman, a.k.a. Nova. How is life in Ohio, Brian? I'm, I'm doing well. I uh, actually came up out of the basement, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm up here in my office uh, talking to y'all, so I'm doing well. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of Ohio, we're, of course, joined by Patrick Stewart, a.k.a. Not Picard. Hey, Pat. Hey, how's it going? Good. Uh, what about you? Any snow? No, not at all. Um, just glad that we're uh, back doing another podcast. I'm excited for this. Yes, yeah it's 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 been it's been too long, but we've got a we've got a bunch lined up, so hopefully it won't be uh, such a uh, such a wait next time. Um, and uh, Mike, how are you, Mister Beachhead? We have to celebrate the failures as well as the successes, Gary. No, it's all right. All right. So uh, we're going to turn it over to Jason Wells first uh, to introduce the items we'll be talking about uh, first. Uh, some figures that some consider highly, highly desirable but are actually so rare. I think I only know, what, two people that might have full sets. Um, so, Jason, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about what we're looking at here, the who, the when, and so on. Alrighty, um, let's see, this would be a three-figure set that was planned to come out in 1998 with the uh, relaunch Toys R Us exclusives that came out back then, and this uh, particular set would have been for, came with a headquarters, specifically the original uh, G.I. Joe headquarters, and the figure set is made up of Pathfinder, Outback, and Dial Tone. Uh, these are pretty much complete original molds um, done up in a uh, desert camo with a black over white chocolate chip. Interesting fact about uh, these three figures is that um, later on in the um, collector's edition line that came out after the uh, relaunch in Toys R Us, all these saw some form of production with the exception of Outback who his, from the neck down was used to make um, Big Brawler. And the head was lost. But um, one of the uh, things that was rumored to hap- have come out with this particular set is that Outback would have been named Rock and Roll. Uh, but apparently they had some issues finding all the parts to the uh, original headquarters, so they think this, the set was scrapped. Would it, would it be safe to say that, I mean, these, these have to be rarer than Pimp Daddy Destro, correct? I would say that the set I own has come up for sale twice. I went to buy it the first time and some financial um, issues came to light, i.e. my septic tank went out and I had to replace it at that time, which if anybody's ever replaced a septic tank, that's a couple, few thousand dollars in the bank, um, out of the bank. And comparatively, these were on par, the same cost-wise. A couple years down the road, the same set, the gentleman who bought this set, later sold this set and I bought it from him so for sale I've only I've seen two sets come up for sale ever and one of those two 
has been resold twice. Well, with, with the exception of like, you know, unpainted test shots or resins, and obviously the rest of you can chime in here. Is there is there anything uh, in GI Joe collecting that is at this production level um, that's known and that's been seen a few times or once or if not just twice that's sort of comparable on rarity? Like, is there another set, Pat or Brian or anyone else that can think of something else, not even just a set, but even a figure that is is at this level of production that made it this far that is as rare as this set is? Or is either one? Of, I know a few people that have like one or two of these or they're just missing one. But is it, what, what else is sort of comparable to this besides, say, Pimp Daddy Destro, who made it to retail, be it by myth or by fact? Um, I think that there's, you know, there are a few things out there that there's only a couple of, but I think the thing that makes these things the most interesting is not, not just their rarity, but the time period that they are from, because, you know, it came after 1994 when G.I. Joe was canceled and G.I. Joe was in that period where it still was really trying to find another place at retail. And, you know, a big play set is a great idea to get, you know, some recognition on the shelf. It also could have been a, a huge, uh, clearance item you know you, you never know what could have happened with a headquarters like that personally I, I think that it would have been a hit with fans um I, I don't know uh exactly when what exactly happened with it after it was canceled though because i heard that they were um trying to find a smaller playset that these figures could come with there was also some mention that uh outback or rock and roll as as it may have been and path Finder were the initial two planned, and then Dial Tone was added later with the possibility of making a smaller playset but more figures at the same price point. So I, I don't exactly know what went on with this set, and that's what makes it the most interesting to me, more so than the rarity, although it is definitely quite rare. I would love to have a set myself. Well, I, yeah, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I bring up the rarity because, I mean, that's going to, that's. Uh, it's one of those things where there's so much in between the the sort of, you know, the 95 stuff, which, of course, there's very little production level stuff. And then you jump ahead a few years to this stuff. And, uh, you know, there's always those those pre-production ones that, you know, are just sort of uh, just paint app differences or part differences, whatever. But these is like this is a full set. Um, and I, I don't know how often you see it a full set of, of G.I. Joes that uh, weren't produced but made it this far, um, you know, you always see, you know, there's always a manimal on eBay, but these things just never, you know. On the, on the rarity of these things, I, don't, I, I think part of it is that when they came out, the, the group of collectors that would have been into the prototypes and the high-end stuff was really pretty secretive, so... You know, if they were available, they were kept kind of on the DL, and, and not a whole lot of the general collecting community became aware of them until, you know, five, ten years after they were actually, you know, produced. At least that's, for me, I, I don't think I found out about them until, you know, the first set went up for sale kind of thing. You know, whereas people who would have been getting them in 98 or 99 kind of thing were of a, a generation of joke collectors who tend to keep things a lot more private. I know for well, one of the things that strikes me is that that ninety seven ninety eight time frame. A lot of that information is kind of like sketchy. It's almost like the whole. I mean, you got the post merger of Kenner and Hasbro, 
And it's almost like the G.I. Joe line was relaunched with a couple guys in a bar writing it out on a napkin going, this would be a really cool idea. So, I mean, a lot of that information is kind of sketchy. I didn't personally hear about these figures until 03, and I first saw a set in person in 05. Yeah, the uh, the relaunch of G.I. Joe, it's been covered in a couple couple sources before, but, you know, a couple of guys on bar napkins isn't, isn't too far from the truth. There wasn't a whole lot of resources spent on it. Uh, there was kind of a, oh, hey, you know, it seems like the... Seems like the temperature's right for a relaunch of G.I. Joe, but oh shit, we better push these out really quick because this is the 15th anniversary. And so obviously, you know, the, the quality issues there that, that we've, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about some other time. I, that's kind of where they came from. So it, it was like, it was something they were, they were kind of into, but at the same time kind of operating underneath the company's radar. You know, there's um, any, anything you hear about it, the, what came out in those years could be true, could not be true. Uh, might be something that 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 uh, Gary made up just to to pass the time and and win followers on our website. I don't know. As you say, that's that's really true. I mean, and that's kind of going back to that what I was talking about the uh, the group of you know collectors, the generation that are, are pretty secretive. Is they were actually ones who were somewhat involved with you know either the file part writing or that you know when when Hasbro's you know limited resources went looking for something they were able to pull from these guys who were you know willing to do stuff just to have figures named after them and the like and and they haven't really ever opened up to say this is what happened this is the story this is what i did this is what i got you know so so a lot of it has just come up to speculation you know one of the uh now it is all speculation because i've heard about half a dozen stories you know and even talking to people who were quote-unquote involved in the relaunch of the line one of the unique things about particularly about this set is um outback which is would have been the last time the original head sculpt was would have been seen because you know outback the body was used in a uh, 2001 for big brawler but the uh, head was that was it that was i mean these these three figures were original molds but that head never resurfaced again on a single figure Hey, Jason, quick question for you on these figures. I don't know if you'll know the answer or not. Sure. Um, now, I remember that these had the Kenner logo as opposed to the Hasbro logo on the back of the packages at the time. Uh, were these put together by the Kenner team when they came on board, or was this still the Hasbro team? You know, I don't know the answer to that. Like I said, that goes back to that whole couple guys in a bar and a bar writing, sketching out on a napkin. I mean, right. Well, I, it, See, I, I would guess that it would be the Kenner team. If if you look at the story of Pimp Daddy Destro, which I don't really think Pimp Daddy Destro is an adequate comparison, because I do think that those are a lot more common than these figures. Um, and, and these figures, with the number of painted applications it would have taken, and the layers, and you know, even Outback has, I think it's Outback has camo on his gloves. It's like there's just there, so yeah, many, well, so many details. Yeah, he has camo on his gloves. But but. Uh, the, the story of Pimp Daddy Destro, the way that that figure supposedly came to be, was that they were already in production whenever, you know, one of the higher-ups at Hasbro saw them and said, no, you know, you, we're not going to make this this way. So they'd already, not not in production, I guess I shouldn't say that, but they'd already at least made it to the factory to test them that far. Whereas really that, that color pattern should have been shot down before it even got that far. So it, it does seem to be following the... Uh, 
few guys jotting ideas down on a napkin comparison that somebody just said, and I, I'm pretty sure all that happened, you know, with the guys at Kenner. Is, are you sure? I thought on, like, uh, the Project Pimp Daddy Destro, the site that goes into the history on, on Pimp Daddy Destro, that, that it was a group of, of Hasbro guys, and that's, like, after Kenner had just moved I, back. I took that I as loosely. Way, I guess yeah. not. Yeah, Pimp Daddy, Project Pimp Daddy Destro would definitely be the solid information to go with. But, I mean, did he mean... He I, did he mean did the PDD site just sort of mean Hasbro, as in the conversation we're having is obviously about Hasbro figures, but at the time there was that thing with Kenner, so we're just being more specific. I guess we can ask. I thought Pete actually had an interview with the, the designer who actually painted up the the Pimp Daddy Desk prototype on that site. Well, I guess you guys aren't the experts. I thought you were. And get off the podcast. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm sure we'll get to the some bottom of it someday. I mean, kind of like what Jason was saying. Back then, at this time, sort of in that, like, you know, obviously before the internet decided that it was in charge of everything, you know, pre-Matrix, you know, it's hard to even get to the bottom of stuff that we think is fact. I mean, look at half the stuff that, you know, we've brought to the declassified booth lately that kind of changes everything anyway. So uh, some of the stuff that, you know, Pat's going to show us tonight changes a lot of what, you know, we think of of certain things. So, I mean, even now, you know, it's a lot of gray area, hence the gray market. But back then, you know, good luck finding out anything is an actual, like, fact. I mean, you talk to Hasbro guys all the time or even any toy maker, and they, everyone's got a different version of what happened and what went on. So, so according to Project Pimp Daddy Destro, uh, John Boyce was the guy who was involved with commemorative sets, and Hasbro had consolidated its Toys, toys business. It's moved it from Baltimore or to Cincinnati, Ohio. So it did come out of Cincinnati and Kenner. I'm wrong. No, but hey, but see that, but that, I mean, the, the reason I even brought up Pimp Daddy Destro, obviously, was that's that's the rare figure everyone sort of knows about. And these, I mean, a lot of people know about them. I remember uh, when uh, we had the declassified booth in Canada Con, two different people came up and said, "Hey, do you have the Desert Headquarter figures in here?" And I was like, "Man, if I had known that." You know, I mean, I know they're online. It's not always the same when you see them in person. It's obviously, you know, a different experience. But I was like, wow, I've, you know, rarely does anyone ever bring these up unless someone stumbles across them and, you know, says, hey, what are these? Um, so, I mean, I just, I brought up the Pimp Daddy Destro in the first place just to sort of say, you know, that's the, what people consider rare. Um, you know, and then you look at these and like I said, I, I think I know two people with full sets, but even I could be thinking of the same set. As Jason said, they went up for sale twice. So it's okay that it's okay to be wrong. I mean, that's part of the. I mean, you're always wrong, but that's still part of the, the learning process. I have a question. Um, the the Outback mold actually was reused in South America for Forest Diero, uh, the electronic kind of the, the the Brazilian Sonic Fighters figure, and it pretty much looks like if you've seen one online or, or in hand, it pretty much looks like the Tiger Force Outback. But the leg does not have a peg for his flashlight. Do these figures have the hole for his? Yes, they, yeah. The, there's the hole. In fact, so the, the sets would have come with the um, the uh, 2000 uh, collector's edition. With dial tone, would have came with the uh, the same accessories he came with that one in the 2000. And Pathfinder would have come with uh, his side mounted guns and his little. Weed Whacker and Outback would have come with uh, everything that uh, Big Brawler came with in 2001. So I guess his backpack and stuff were lost at that point some, yes. somewhere along the line. That's a shame. 
but his but his light was there. His light, the so big brawler had the light, and so he would have had the light. And the hole is in the figure. There there is a peg hole in the figure. It's interesting because didn't uh, when Fun School released Big Brawler, uh, his leg hole was closed up, was it not? I think you're Did, right. I think that didn't one was have closed a closed up. up peg hole. Yeah, that one was closed. Which you know, Outback was one of the coolest figures, you know, and, and it wasn't until Hasbro realized that they can modify people's code names, put people's real names into the code name to get around certain copyrights, you know, because we didn't want a restaurant chain suing Hasbro. By the time Big Brawler came around, that that body, you know, we ended up with this brand new head sculpt that didn't really look like anybody, and then Big Brawler moved into Tiger Force, and which ended up with Salvo's body and that low-light head that kind of looked like, you know, Jonathan Franks, Franks from Star Trek, which, you know, probably makes Patrick Stewart happy. Gets that figure out and goes, make it so, number one. <laughs> make it so. I, I think I just had to say it. Just make everybody happy. I told you I had a Patrick Stewart joke set up for this. I really had to dig for it, though. But no, it's unfortunate because you just see how Outback evolved into Big Brawler with that salvo body and that uh, low light head. It's just, which he was obviously meant to be Outback, especially when you see that first one, that first use of that, that salvo body on the Tiger Force. I mean, the entire card art looks like Outback, you know, but he's just de-evolved to something that doesn't look like Outback anymore, which is unfortunate. So uh, has anybody thought about, I mean, I know you said that, that headquarters was, they couldn't find parts of it, but it, I mean, I would almost think that it was one of those things that if it got to uh, like drop testing, that 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 base is notorious for spitting out little little bits and chips when you break it. That it may have been a play testing, you know, uh, fatality rather than actual not being able to find parts to it. Yeah, I can't imagine that because then you turn around. I mean, there's some sharp parts to it, but you know, a couple years later they released the mobile command center. And that thing isn't like a kid's death trap. The mobile command center would have been a couple of years after this heli- after this uh, headquarters release too. You know, and uh, I, yeah, no, I was the success that. they had had to that point with with the restart of the line with uh, Joe versus Cobra and Spy Troops. They were probably more willing to give up the shelf space for for the mobile command center at that time that they weren't willing to give up. You know, four years earlier for something the, about the same size in the, the re-released headquarters. No, and I agree with you, Mike. I mean, the the question on the table was playtesting. Would it have just failed playtesting, not necessarily they couldn't get the parts? Yeah, I think I think the playtesting excuse was the reason why we we waited so long to get a Sky Striker. You know, that that it just, as it was vintage style, it wouldn't survive for, for modern playtesting. So I just was curious if anybody thought about that or if, if it is actually that those tooling parts were gone. Now I, I know when they're doing play testing for toys, though they try to have, they try to mimic how kids would play with it. Obviously, with a plane, um, kids are going to try and make it fly. They're either going to throw it or they're going to mimic having it fly around the backyard. And I think play testing for something like the Sky Striker would have been a lot more active and would have been a much bigger concern than it would have been for headquarters, uh, just because. Uh, you know, only only the kids on the shortest of buses are are flying the headquarters around the backyard. When, I, when I'm talking specifically, I'm talking like a drop test, which I thought was, you know, you have to take any toy from a height of I think six or eight feet and drop it onto a a solid surface. I thought that was the reason why we didn't get things like uh, 
what's his name, the Transformer giant. Fortress Maximus. Yeah, that thing. Brian, did your parents drop test you? Multiple times, though, though I'm nice and padded, so I'm good. <laughs> it, it is kind of interesting because the drop test is one of those things that comes up continually among the Transformers community, but it's hardly ever mentioned in the G.I. Joe community. And I think that's probably because they didn't get, you know, the robots in disguise, Fortress Maximus, Brave Maximus. Um, so maybe they're just still hurt by that. Um, but I would think that if it's a standard Hasbro safety test, that probably everything has to, you know, be tested that way. Um, the 2001 headquarters that was reissued in 2002 with that figure that they couldn't decide if it was Flint or Rock and Roll, uh, that thing seems to me like something that would be, you know, would, wouldn't stand a, a better chance of, of passing the drop test than the original headquarters. So I had heard whenever that thing came out in 2001 that they had actually still been trying to get the headquarters from the desert headquarters from 98 produced. I'm not sure. Is, has anybody else heard whether or not that's what happened that caused that playset to get reissued? Yeah, actually, that is what I heard. That, that is, I've heard that a couple times before, but it's one of those things that I think they just abandoned the idea of getting the original headquarters out, and they went with uh, Fortress America and um, the Mobile Command Center. Well, it, it still would be kind of nice to see that original headquarters again, personally. I, I know some people are tired of them. It's not that uncommon, but I, I kind of like the original HQ. And that in a desert desert camo is also one of the things that seeing these three figures together just makes my mind really wander because, uh, you know, there's a really nice Action Force version of the headquarters that has camo on it, and maybe there is going to be... I mean, looking at these figures, I can only imagine the camo scheme that they had planned for a playset. I would, no, I would and think I, it would be pretty similar with the other, you know, vehicles of that era. That'd just be kind of big swipes of paint. So, I mean, it, it would probably be similar to like the, you know, Action Force one, but maybe even marbleized. Maybe depends where the tooling was. I guess they weren't. Maybe they weren't marbleizing stuff until later. Marbleizing is a, a, a exclusive action feature of the collectors' club, so they may have not had that feature yet. Hey Jason, I, sorry, I've, I don't know if I missed this or not, but we're, are, are the figures that you own, are they some sort of pre-production item or are they actually like factory made? These are factory. This is what makes these figures really um, unique is that here's a three-figure set that went all the way to the factory paint sample. I mean, wow. these were ready to go into production, um, complete paint apps. And they were canceled. Or are these the type of figure where, where uh, you know, back in '96 or whenever they were made, uh, being manufactured, that they would have just a giant bin of these headed for the recycle scrap heap? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't, well, since none of these never made it into production, like none of these ever ended up on a card, unlike the Pimp Daddy Destro, where there was some demand that got out into the pop, the wild relatively early. There was a demand, and that demand got back to China or the original manufacturer where they could be saved. I think a lot of these were probably there. Probably was a bin of them, and they probably were destroyed. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this was probably super limited. Because the, the the weapons being bagged by themselves, I mean, it, Pat, is, have you seen any other things out of China where the, the weapons are bagged and the figures are sort of not, or the weapons are bagged separately from the figures? 
I'd really have to think hard about that. Yeah, I see, don't. I'm going to think, I'm going to, I'm going to go with. Wait, yes, yes, I have actually, because I have, uh, the, the, the figures that I have bagged are, and we just mentioned them earlier, are, uh, Thunder Wing, I think they named them, and Heavy Duty, which are also roughly from this era. The figures came bagged and their accessories were bagged with them. So uh, I guess the answer to that is yes. So that, that fits how, with how this lim- era. How limited are those? The ones that I got were directly from somebody who worked at Hasbro. Yeah. So and I think I had two of each of them. But again, those are figures that made it to the shelves. So how, oh, how in yeah. demand are figures bagged with their accessories? Not very. But, I mean, I think that was the method of them doing this. And like he was saying, it's uh, that's all stuff that would have happened before the packaging phase. Yeah. And Pimp Daddy Destro made it to that phase. I mean, the thing people need to keep in mind when they're looking at something like this, yes, it has factory paint on it. But that doesn't mean that it came off of an assembly line. Exactly. I think that whenever they're setting up those things in China, what they actually do in order as a part of the approval process before they go through all the steps of you know, spending the money on the entire assembly line and, and figuring all that out is they have somebody build the paint masks. They actually have somebody put the figures together. And I think that something like this probably was done with the assembly line uh, uh, tools like the paint masks and uh, everything that you would need in the assembly line were probably done by just a limited number of people, if not just one person. So this is something that I would think would be very limited. And there probably were a ton of paint masks. I just keep looking at his gloves, thinking, "Man, how many times do they have to put that in and out of something to get those all those colors on there?" And then they just didn't go with it. I would say that these are probably just as limited as they seem. Now, does that mean there's, you know, there's none in China? No, but I I would. I would be amazingly surprised to ever see these surface anywhere except for where they already are. And, and before somebody else, you know, like just to kind of uh, set aside that thought, the people who would be doing these are probably people whose time is very valuable. They're the person yes. who's kind of in charge and setting things up. So things like midnight Chinese or lunchtime specials still <laughs> are not very realistic thoughts. I, I, I think in terms of rarity, you know, if you're if you're not taking one in, one of a kinds into account, this is really the, in, these are the grail. These are these are the ones that there's just nothing out there on it. If you come across a set uh, and you want them, be just be prepared to pay. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Jason, and of course everyone else for uh, taking us through these uh, these pretty fantastic. Like Pat said about you know some of the uh, the paint apps. I mean, it, it looks like a lot of work put into something that just didn't go anywhere, which of course is is nothing new. I mean, it happens all the time, but uh, it's still unfortunate to an extent, but fortunate for you, huh, Jason? Yes. That they didn't, uh, that they didn't get made? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, I would have <laughs> seen these get made. I know you don't care. You, you, you collect stuff because you love it. I know we've had this talk. Yes. You don't, you don't care if it's rare. It just happens to be rare. It just happens to be rare. So, um, well, I just want to say thank you for letting me have this opportunity to come on your podcast finally and talk about some stuff because, you know, been after you for a while to let me come on. Oh, yeah, anytime. So are you are you leaving us or are you sticking around for the rest of the conversation? Uh, I will stick around for a while of the conversation, but unfortunately in my area it's pushing 11 o'clock and I do have to get up That's at fine. 4 just, o'clock. If you, if you have to bow out, just bow out. All right, well, uh, you know changing the era and changing the brand to an extent, but 
staying on topic with uh, with parts use and repaints and all that fancy stuff, I'll turn it over to Pat to uh, talk to us about uh, some things that uh, that he discovered and something that I discovered. And um, obviously, as usual, Pat was able to make some sense of it all. There still seems to be some mystery surrounding them. Uh, Pat, do you want to uh, do you want to take us in deeper with these? Well, if it's okay with you, I'd first rather talk about the thing that you had discovered. Oh yeah, not no. Go ahead. I- okay. Well, I guess I'll just say then, uh, if you were at JoeCon and had a chance to see the booth, you've seen what we're about to talk about already. So lucky you, and that's kind of you know what we do. It's it's nice to be able to see people and talk to them about this stuff in person, and I really enjoy seeing people get excited about this stuff in person. Um, but I'm sure that online through various sources, people have already seen uh, the various Jurassic Park figures that Hasbro was at some point planning to make that got scrapped. I know there's a really awesome one with cool tattoos um, that's made from the Roblox body with a Duke And that one's fairly common, easy to find if you see it in our pictures and are interested. Uh, And then there were some ones that had surfaced that were a little less common that looked pretty much like a Firefly figure. Uh, But it was basically the Cobra Trooper body with a Firefly head. And they came with some gear, and there are a few different ones of those. So some of this Jurassic Park stuff people have seen. I'm sure everybody's seen the Ostrikers. Sorry, I don't have a picture of those because I don't have one. Um, But the figure that you had come across that I was delighted to be able to get uh, is the head of what would end up being Zanzibar in the Big Bad Toy Store exclusive set. Basically, from looking at, at, at those things online, we had already seen some of those figures' heads uh, on test shots, like the Mercer head that came in those sets was found on a Jurassic Park test shot, you know, an unpainted figure out of China. And this Zanzibar must be um, from the Jurassic Park line. So I, I believe that that's what this is. Isn't that what you were also able to uh, find out, Gary? Yeah, um, from uh, from what I could gather, uh, this is a uh, a canceled Jurassic Park figure. Um, but uh, I know it's hard to tell if it was made to be a Jurassic Park figure and to be used later on down the line as Zanzibar. I mean, that seems like it could be obvious. Uh, kind of like the Mercer head on the pilot. He doesn't look like a helicopter pilot. But then we're, again, we're talking about Jurassic Park. But it's just a weird. I think the parts choices are kind of different enough that it might suggest that these were made uh, with a dual purpose in mind. I mean, do you think that's possible, that they just kind of knew that they were going to use the tooling again this way? I, I mean, I think that's highly likely. I don't know if they necessarily had Zanzibar in mind for this one because there are some very obvious differences. The patch is on the wrong side of the eye if it's Zanzibar. Not that I'm cutting on the Zanzibar figure. I, I do like those sets very much. Um the, the Resolute figures that are being made, like Roadblock, for example, I, you know, the first time that one showed up was in that Rise of Cobra Battle Station set. He didn't come out as Resolute Roadblock for quite some time. And I think that there's a good possibility that somewhere in between him initially being canceled as part of the tail end of the 25th line and or classic line or whatever you may call it, 
there in 2009, and then actually coming out in Rise of Cobra, you probably they probably just planned on using a lot of the resolute parts for Jurassic Park or the other cancel stuff. I believe that that Mercer head that we saw was on um, all the parts that were going to also be used for the canceled scrap iron. So it seemed to me like the Jurassic Park line was kind of coming together from things that at that time had been abandoned for G.I. Joe. Well, I remember when the uh, scrap irons first showed up from China, they were being listed as resolute scrap iron. Um, I don't know what, I, I know that scrap iron would have been single carded right at the, you know, wave 15 or 16, whatever the kids are calling it these days. But, um, but I wonder if he would have been a quote unquote resolute scrap iron, uh, despite of course not having a, a resolute counterpart in the actual cartoon, although who knows conceptually, I mean, there was all that resolute concept stuff at, at Joe Con, but I don't remember seeing a scrap iron, but, uh, I wonder if that's why maybe he was listed as resolute scrap iron considering yeah, that's quite possible. I mean, it's not like the bat that was in the resolute multi-pack was actually in the show. So yeah, no, it's so very possible. They were just trying to add somebody and here was a reason to, uh, to make Scrap Iron again a little more similar to his original form and, you know, brand him differently so that he'd be easy to differentiate. I mean, the, the Jurassic Park figures obviously have a lot of resolute, uh, as, you know, parts to them. I just, uh, I know sometimes China sellers will just put whatever, you know, on their auctions for whatever reason. Um, but I always thought it was weird that that was listed as Resolute Scrap Iron in the beginning. So, uh, was Red Star the same way? Did they list yeah, Red Star? Resolute. Yeah, I think I think that it was also Resolute Red Star. Um, it's also possible that the wave was Resolute and it would not have actually had the Resolute tag at the top. Uh, it's very hard to say, but I mean, you know, again, it's the Resolute Trooper body, Resolute Roadblock body, Resolute Duke head, uh, Resolute Duke body for this figure. There's a lot of Resolute going into this Jurassic Park stuff that we're seeing. I do find it to be awfully strange that they were producing a, a Jurassic Park figure using the Duke body, and we ended up with a figure that has you know green pants and a tan shirt that he's wearing, and it's made out of the Duke body. But if you put it next to a Duke, it's not at all the same shades. It's it's not made from a Resolute Duke whatsoever. I think the most interesting part about them is that they do rely so heavily on Resolute tooling. It's like okay, we have so much sunk into this resolute tooling, we can't do anything with it, let's try and make some money back by making an exclusive Toys R Us with it. it well, it's kind of an interesting thought process. The, the Toys R Us Jurassic Park stuff, was that 2009 Was when it was supposed to be out? Or am I thinking of something else? I believe that there was already a Toys R Us Jurassic Park line, and it was kind of failing. Uh, I know that whenever these things were kind of supposed to be around, there were quite a number of Toys R Us Jurassic Park exclusives that were on clearance or were having, you know, crazy sales all the time, you know, buy one, get one half off, buy one, get one free kind of things. Um, so I believe that this was supposed to be a continuation of that same line. They definitely would have been better figures because that line was using the Jurassic Park 3 figures that were the same scale, but, you know, they kind of had the, uh, the five points of articulation thing going on. So this would have been an upgrade for sure for that line. But I have to think that maybe part of the reason why these didn't make it out was because of the way that sales were already going for the lesser quality stuff. 
part of the reason. That's that's just my guess. I, I can't say for sure that that's what it was. That's just me walking into a toy store going, uh-oh. There's even some speculation where these things were showing that they were still going to come out. I know that the figure with the tattoos, people were saying, oh, yeah, I saw him at a toy show, and he was going to come with a T-Rex repaint. And it's just like, I, you know, I, I don't know if there's any validity to that or not. It seemed like it was just somebody, you know, making something up online. You know, it, it wasn't clear that they weren't coming out whenever they first started showing up. Or maybe maybe the theme for G.I. Joe in late 2013 will be uh, I Know Hunters too. Lowlight leads the charge. That actually brings us, I think, segues us to uh, another figure, does it not? Well, I, do you want to... Do you want to talk about the uh, the art first, uh, or do you want to or do you want to talk about the figure first? We can tie that the art in in a minute. Okay. Okay. The, the art kind of came as a second, uh, disc, you know, a second realization. So we can kind of take people through, you know, uh, how we came across things. I think does that make sense? No, that's perfectly fine. I just wanted to check. Okay. I was hoping you'd want to talk about the images of all the James Bond Junior merchandise in that same photo bucket folder but <laughs> we, we might get to that if we have uh if <laughs> if we have time oh no those pictures were taken for this podcast he's not kidding i'm not uh, joking no way I, I guess that does bring us on that that kind of segues to the next figure um i was kind of very fortunate um and i was offered a couple of figures at the same time and i i guess that's important to uh note just from the uh the stance of trying to figure out what these things were. Um, one of them you can see inside uh, the photos for the show is a it's an adventure team figure that the club was putting together. It's the um, it's the Action Marine. If you look at the Action Marine that that I was offered and I, I was lucky enough to get, the camo pattern is completely different than the Action Marine that came out. And we did bring that as well to JoeCon, so you may have seen that already. Uh, in, a, in the case, but the club was nice enough to come up and take a look at it and confirm that it was indeed an earlier camo paint scheme that they had kind of put together and weren't happy with. And if you compare it to the figure that, that they ended up uh, releasing, I could see why they weren't happy with it because the one that they released does a much better job of capturing the spirit of the original figure. It definitely has more of that uh, vintage classic camo pattern. This one, the camo is kind of smaller. It's it's so small that you can kind of hardly tell that it is supposed to be that same character other than the head that is on it. it um, but it's definitely an interesting pre-production item. I think they're his pajamas. Yeah, they kind of look more like pajamas, don't they? I have a pair. I'm wearing them right now. Oh, really? Um, but the other figure that I got with it uh, is kind of interesting because... He does have the same head. Uh, well, at least it's the same head skeleton. He's also it also has brown hair, um, but it's got a completely different body. Uh, for people just listening to the podcast, I will explain that it looks like it's a pair of Tomax and Zaymont arms on a 25th Gung Ho body, but he's not bare chested because they've painted on like a black muscle shirt underneath, and he's got a. Uh, a brown vest and green pants. Whenever this came, I wasn't quite sure what the deal was, but then on his left forearm, there is a tattoo. 
and he came with a bow that I wasn't quite sure if it was supposed to be with him or if it was just a test shot that somebody included because it's the two-pack Storm Shadow bow from the 25th line that was for the issue 21 and a half, uh, where it has the, the radar on it or the motion detector on it. Um, but the tattoo is definitely a dinosaur symbol. So it kind of melts the adventure team head with the dinosaur theme. So whenever I got this figure, I kind of flipped out realizing that, hey, the Jurassic Park stuff, at that point I already knew that that, that stuff was, was out and was canceled. But I didn't ever see this before. And what it kind of indicated to me was that there was a possibility that the Jurassic Park toys were reimagined to possibly create some adventure team stuff. And I think that makes a lot of sense that maybe there could be an adventure team dino hunters thing going on. I mentioned that he, that whenever I got it, I got it with an adventure team figure because you know just for the sake of the the small possibility that it didn't that it that it had a different head on it to begin with, um, I thought that I would I would uh, mention that. But the tattoo does have arrows next to what looks like a T Rex skull, so the bow definitely came with it. It's not like these parts were just kind of tossed together. And the other thing it doesn't have is a Jurassic Park logo, which the other Jurassic Park figures I have, with the exception of Zanzibar, uh, you know, I'm calling him Zanzibar, it's the Zanzibar head. The other three, like the uh, two Firefly figures in the Duke block, they all have that JP logo on them. This one doesn't, which makes me think that it wasn't that it wasn't necessarily going to be a part of the Jurassic Park brand, and that maybe it was going to be Adventure Team. And honestly, I really think that Adventure Team makes a lot of sense for guys hunting dinosaurs. That would be a huge thing for the Adventure Team to go after. And some of those Firefly figures, like especially that one in blue and black, I definitely think that he could uh, make for a good Black Dragon organization figure, which, if you're familiar with the Adventure Team, or Black Dragon. Black Dragon, the figures, uh, came out, what was it, 2003 for the convention in the Operation Anaconda? Is that correct? Yeah, Please, just 2000, 2003. Yes, that's correct. And, and, and they were uh, mostly black with blue and some gold and yellow colors. And I think that Firefly figure would make for a great great Black Dragon figure. And, and the organization actually comes from the package for, I believe it's the uh, Abominable Snowman set from the original Adventure Team. There's a mention that the Adventure Team has to find him before Black Dragon does. So I, I think that as a theme just makes a lot of sense. Like, after I start putting the pieces together, maybe I'm overthinking it, but I just really think that that would be a cool way for them to go with Adventure Team. I remember you know, going back and forth with you. And it wasn't until the, when I, I remember I texted you and I was like, Hey, look at this with the Zanzibar. And you're like, wow. And I was like, yeah, like it, it almost, it almost felt like, uh, everything we'd been talking about meant that we were sort of on the right track, figuring out what some of this stuff was. Um, and still we're left with a ton of questions. I, I'm just waiting to find that other figure that kind of maybe even ties it even closer together. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Or, or, uh, a vehicle or I don't know, something that just screams like, Hey, we're not crazy. Well, there there was that one other piece that I, I guess I'll just get to now. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that does kind of tie them together rather well. And 
that's the Hasbro sketchbook from San Diego Comic-Con. Hasbro's put out, I think, three of these so far. And in them, you can kind of see a bunch of pictures, but they don't tell you what they are. And I had actually forgotten about the picture, but occasionally I'll pull out that sketchbook. Because it's a good idea, because occasionally things come up and, you know... You talk things over and really think things through, but then it turns out that there was another clue back in one of those older sketchbooks that makes things make sense more. Like uh, Zorana from Robot Rebellion is in there. But there is a sketch in one of those books, and it's a full page of what is clearly uh, a character with the eye patch, or maybe he doesn't have the eye patch. Well, he's got a damaged eye, but that. He's got a damaged eye, but. No eye patch, but he does have the same haircut. Yeah, there it is. He has the same haircut as uh, Zanzibar, so it's clearly the Zanzibar head. And he's next to a dinosaur, so it's, it it first kind of looks like it's maybe the Jurassic Park idea. Yeah, but he what's on his chest? Hair. What? Nothing. Yeah, I get exactly. I get so excited chest. looking at this picture after everything we've we found. <laughs> yeah, no. On his chest is the Adventure Team logo. So there it is in the Hasbro sketchbook of the adventure team doing some dinosaur hunting. And the thing that is super nice about the figure that you found is that it kind of shows me that that figure most definitely was the Jurassic Park set figure for this, in my in my mind, because he, he has the same head but does not match the body of the figure or the color of the figure that is the adventure team figure in the pictures. So there's definitely a link there between this Jurassic Park stuff being redeveloped or at least conceptualized for Adventure Team. So Jurassic Park to Adventure Team to canceled again, apparently. But it's Is definitely that, something I would still like to see happen. Just just looking at the, the artwork on that Zanzibar figure, uh, th- that body shirt almost looks like uh, what they used for Ripper. You know, so I mean, I, I could absolutely see, you know, the 25th anniversary reuse kind of stuff that, you know, at some point they were planning to reuse this or that, and then they just so happened to come upon that they had all the Resolute stuff to use. So He has a very, very well-defined de- uh, collarbone, and I actually kind of wondered if it was Ripper, because he does have the ripped clothing. Um, at one point, uh, somebody suggested that it could be even the Battle Damage Snake Eyes. I don't think that's the case, because it just doesn't match. But I actually think that it may even be the body that they used for Zanzibar, which would be uh, that um, battle damage storm shadow chest that I think was going to be from Resolute or from the from the movie toy line. I mean, there, there's a few different things they could have done here because obviously with the bare chested gung ho, they turned it into a muscle shirt by painting it. So I'm not sure what body and what parts those are exactly. I'd really like to know for certainty. And without the eye patch there, there's also the possibility that it's it's some body that it doesn't quite look like in art form. Rarely would I get that excited over, you know, some sketch in a book that was given away at San Diego. You know what I mean? But uh but this one always gets me. You bring up another point though, who are they trying to market it to? Yeah. Um, I, I, and the answer to that is I honestly don't know. I, I just hope that, you know, at some point this this idea gets revisited because I, I'd love, again, I'd love to see, I may be pushing it a little too obviously, that, but I'd love to see this as a concept. I mean, it could be a, even an excuse to give us uh, another low light maybe, but also to give us Ambush in a convention set because he was one of the dino hunters from the Toys R Us set, you know, back in the vintage days. 
Pat, do you have a nifty segue from from this sure into your um, okay. talking about some of the the uh, Dino Hunters things? Always makes me point to one of the things that I like that kind of the whole thing just mashes together in my brain, and I don't even know how how like to draw the lines from from this to the next thing. But these Jurassic Park figures were going to come with an awe striker, and I find it interesting that. Uh, the original line had the Dino Hunters playset that had that teal and tan vehicle that was to repaint of the Desert Fox with it. Well, there's another teal and tan vehicle that happens to be an Awestriker that was released under the Stargate line. If you actually take the Stargate Awestriker next to the Dino Hunters vehicle from the original line, you can clearly see that they were made with the exact same plastic. And I guess that kind of is a very odd, I don't even know if it's linear, it's just kind of everything mashed together in a bucket segue into talking about Stargate and all kinds of uh, reuses of G.I. Joe parts. Uh, sometimes G.I. Joe has been reused uh, internationally. We all know about Action Force. That's a gigantic topic. That's a great one. I love Action Force. Um, but there are the obvious reuses of molds like that, and I think we even already mentioned Forestiero from South America and all the great South American things to buy, but there are times where these molds were reused in the United States, and they weren't necessarily used for bootlegs, they were just reused to make other things. That may include other toy lines that came from Hasbro, or sometimes even branded Kenner, um, and it may include G.I. Joe vehicles that we already have. I mean, if you look closer at that stuff, sometimes it was just remade from previously existing toys because that's the way that they were making things at the time. Um, and there are a lot of great examples of this. Uh, uh, I guess the first one I brought up was Stargate with the Striker. That thing was really retooled. Not only did they make it into a one-seater to fit the larger figures, but they added a, a stand on the back. So the figures didn't just have to stand on the sides, they could actually stand on the back um, it's a pretty cool item for G.I. Joe collectors, but the Stargate line is full of accessories that are actually from G.I. Joe. That time and time again, things like that will come up in a lot, and people will be on a forum saying, can you ID this, these parts for me, please? And it's not coming up in any of the searches and any of the guides, and it's because it's not actually part of the G.I. Joe brand, but they are pieces from G.I. Joe. I think in the... Uh, show notes there should be a picture i took of most of the jurassic park stuff being a variation guy and crazy about that i actually bought not just one set but also some of the variations there were some things that were released and it seems to be that the lime green came first it's very kind of a minty bright and then it was toned down into a darker green but most of the lines stayed the same didn't get a variation um but there it is. There's tons of missiles, uh, backpacks reused, like Tunnel Rat's backpack. They removed the spots for the flashlights, uh, and it's in kind of an odd green color. If you've ever found that, it's an official Hasbro item. It's not G.I. Joe, but it is Hasbro. Um, Big Ben's backpack is kind of strange. It's also in the Stargate line. And what with Tunnel Rat's backpack not having its peg changed, I find it kind of weird, but they actually changed the peg to be not like that plus, like almost Phillips head kind of design that the standard G.I. Joe backpacks have, but it's just a standard peg to go into a backpack. I, I don't know why that change was made, but there were a lot of changes on some of that stuff, and it, it's pretty interesting. 
I think it's an interesting thing to just to kind of think about is you, I know you mentioned reuse of of tooling and reuse of molds, but have you actually looked at the tooling marks to see? If, I mean, it, it, that they just that they reuse the actual tools that they already had cut, or did they just kind of say? Well, well I, guess I, I, say because I guess I should say sculpt because I haven't looked close enough at all this stuff to see tooling. Uh, definitely, a lot of it has to be new tooling because it's different. And you know, since then the Ostrikers come out, and it wasn't a one seater and didn't have that thing in the back. I do have to wonder how much of it was was redone if they redid the whole thing for Stargate, or if they just redid the parts that they needed to. I, I, I guess I used the term tooling a little too loosely there. Um, well, it, it definitely it definitely should have been a sculpt. Well, Patrick, um, one of the things that and correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't pulled out the Stargate All-Striker in a long time, but doesn't the roll cage stay the same? Like, because they, they moved the, the center gun to the center, and that stayed throughout all the uh, reincarnations of the All-Striker. Uh, yeah, I think they probably did make some changes. I guess I'd have to look at all the things right next to each other. I have not actually pulled that thing out for quite some time. Oh, I, see, I think those changes were made for the Eco-Striker. To the to mount Oh the, yeah, that's the not correct. Center. That was on the Eco Striker. Thanks, Brian. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess that brings up some vehicles and accessories. There have been times where accessories have been used for plenty of other things. Um, let me see what else I have. Um, I don't have a picture of this. I wish I did, but I'm told that Robocop's gun from the Kenner Robocop line was actually Outback's gun, heavily modified, which is interesting because that would have predated Hasbro's acquisition of Kenner. They probably were just kind of kit-bashing things together and used it. I don't know that that's true, Pat. I mean, it looks similar, but... It does look very similar, and it does not look like Robocop's gun. Let me go grab one real quick. Hang on. Okay, that solves that. Nerds. Uh, I guess while he's getting that, I'll talk about some of the other things. Um, or should I wait? No, go ahead. No, keep talking. It's going to... Okay. Brian, has uh, a, he lives in a mansion. One of the things that I thought was awesome is the Congo line uh, for the movie Congo was made by Hasbro slash Kenner. And they reused the, the gun from Eco Warriors Flint. But when they did, they added two things to it. The most important of which is a backpack peg that allows it to fit. I mean, it's a standard G.I. Joe backpack peg, so it does fit in the backs of G.I. Joes, so they don't have to lug around that gun all the time just carrying it. They can actually strap it to their back, I guess. And the other really strange thing that I'm not quite sure why it's there, I guess if I had the whole Congo toy, maybe I'd have a better idea, but it has a backpack hole on the back of it, so you can actually just link a ton of these things together if you want, or put the gun on his back and then a backpack on that if you want. Um, but it looks pretty cool. It doesn't fit. For some strange reason, it fits on most figures great. But one figure it doesn't fit on too well is the repaint of Eco Warriors Flint. I'd hope that it would fit on there perfectly. Because him having the fact that that figure has black detail and it's a black gun, it, it goes really well with that figure that otherwise didn't come with accessories. Um, but that's a cool one. Uh, and then. They reused some things in the Jurassic Park line. Um, Scoop's camera was, was used for the Vince Vaughn character, which I was actually just talking about this with Phil uh, Donnelly from Yo Joe, who's sometimes on the show. Um, and uh, 
he mentioned to me whenever I mentioned Scoop's camera, he knew what figure it belonged to, and he mentioned to me that the Jurassic Park line also had Shockwave's knife used for, I think it was Roland Tembo. So there was some, you know, reuse going on in there, and the the uh, Scoop's camera actually was retooled as well. The handle was was made larger and thicker and more round to fit into uh, Vince Vaughn's hands. So you, you definitely can see it, though. If you just are looking through the line, you can see it right there in the package, featured kind of prominently. I also have included a picture from the James Bond Jr. line. There was a James Bond figure that was a paratrooper, and his backpack is a black version of the Sky Patrol parachute. So if you've ever been going through G.I. Joe accessories and you find the black Sky Patrol parachute and you're thinking to yourself, uh, does this go to the maybe action pilot? No, it doesn't go to him because he has a, a different colored one. Does it go to the convention action pilot? No, it's not him because it's a different mold. It's black, but that's wrong too. It goes to James Bond Jr. So I can find these freaking Robocop guns, but I can't find a freaking over or Outback gun. How fun is that? Jason that's had an Outback strange. gun with his Outback. Oh my God, we've tied the whole episode together. No, because he said his, his uh, Outback didn't have an Outback gun. Oh, that's right. Oh. right. Now we've got to start the whole episode over. Oh. <laughs> Do we, we want to talk about some other things that use some G.I. Joe tooling? How about that? All right, that works. Um, I believe that there was a Clone Wars set that used the modern Roblox minigun. Well, let's talk about vintage still. I, I like the vintage G.I. Joe stuff. Let's see. Let me mention the VR Troopers Pursuit Jet just so I can get that out of the way, because in my mind, that kind of all belongs with this. Uh, the VR Troopers Pursuit Jet obviously used the Firebat, but it is a completely different scale, and very, very retooled. A lot of people have bought these and, uh, you know, customized them into G.I. Joe, and that's a great idea if you like the Firebat. It kind of has open windows on the sides for the arms of the VR Troopers to stick out, which is a little annoying, but still doesn't look all that bad, and you should be able to uh, squeeze a, an extra seat in there so that it fits two figures. Um, it, it probably requires a little bit of cutting, but it can be done. I thought that I would mention that, but Ryan took a ton of great pictures, went above and beyond what I was even had in mind, pointed out some things I didn't know about while I was looking through his pictures. Um, I mentioned, you know, briefly when we segued into this, that some G.I. Joe parts were reused actually to make G.I. Joe items. And why don't you uh, tell us about some of the things you took pictures of, Brian? So uh, I guess to, to talk about it is uh, at one point at a, one of the conventions I had dinner with uh, Guy Cassidy, and he was talking about, with especially with a lot of the larger vehicle sets, that, that they were always really rushed to do them, and a lot of people were working on different different parts of them. So you, you see this a lot in larger vehicles where certain people will have just grabbed looks almost like whatever they can find off their desk and, and glued it on as, as what's called tech detail. So you see it in the photos I have of the mobile command center, uh, of the, uh, the terror drone, uh, and of the defiant. You see a lot of little, uh, what, what you might call, um, Easter eggs, little, little Easter eggs throughout the, the thing where you'll see, oh. you know, and in the defiant, you know, there are tripwires mines used as, as just, detail and, and maybe if you want to think of those as a, a bomb firefly planet you can think of them that way if not they're just round detail I, I, I've also come across parts where, where you actually I actually have a couple 
test shot vehicle parts where, where you've seen them actually cut apart. So I have a Mamba shell that's missing chunks, and, and I'm told it's from when certain designers or, or vehicle builders would, would be looking for something, they'd cut a piece off of whatever was handy. So you can see this a lot in, as I said, especially with the larger vehicles, you see them grabbing whatever they can and, and just kind of filling in detailed spots. It's so sad there's some awesome test shot stuff out there that, that are missing pieces, but you know at the time, it, I'm sure it was just uh, parts, and uh, it kind of makes you wonder, whenever you're looking at these, this mobile command center, what color, you know, what couple color flight pod was used, what color mountain howitzer was used to put those details in there. As you say, if you see in my photos, you see I actually put production pieces next to them because I was just trying to see if you could get a, a sense of scale. Because like when you look at when when the Joe weapons went through the process of being put onto sprues for like the late Battle Course figures, the, the weapons actually shrunk. So if you put like uh, you know the original use of that weapon next to the the sprue one, it's a little bit smaller, and that you know so obviously that's part of the tooling process that things shrink a little bit. So you, the, the big fear is that, you know, instead of being a production trouble bubble engine used there, that they use, like, the original resin prototype kind of thing. But, but that's really unprovable, so. Yeah, that thought hadn't even occurred to me. I, I mentioned the word kit bashing. Maybe people don't, maybe if there are some non-customizers listening in, they might not be familiar with what that is. But basically, when a lot of this stuff was made, um, Hasbro did use model parts, so they'd buy like a big old, you know, supply of models, and the the idea of kit bashing, not even just from a Hasbro standpoint from the time, but just from model and customizers, is that instead of, you know, turning those kits into the models they were meant to be, you bash them apart and make other pieces and just use them for tech de detail. But these pictures are great. There's some that I didn't realize, like this piece of the mauler that was on the, uh, the Defiant, I had not spotted that, and it looks like the uh, do the hubs from the Ferret actually fit on the on the uh, the the hubs uh, Thunder from the Ferret and the front Thunder Machine wheels are, as far as I can tell, exactly the same. Other than the wow. color, once once you peel the rubber tires off, they're they're all exactly the same. And that's not the only reuse of wheels, right? No, there's well, that's and as far as like. Obviously, at some point in, in G.I. Joe, there's like a, a pretty definitive split in, you know, how the vehicles are designed and where they're designed. And I didn't go into a lot of the newer stuff where you see like direct direct tooling reuse. So for things like, like an example, like the Mud Buster and the Ice Snake, they have the same wheel and axle and spring-loaded mechanism and missiles and missile launcher and all those things that are the exact same tools reused just with with a couple other extra parts you know there's there's things like the the uh monster blaster apc and the attack cruiser have the same wheels you know so i don't know that i don't know that you would expect that that's tooling reuse but definitely sculpt reuse and multiple purpose multi-purpose mm -hmm. maybe even like with the mud buster uh they probably had planned that one right from the beginning but the the wheels to the general, those are from, is it the Thunder Machine? Uh, Rolling Thunder. Rolling Thunder. Okay. Oh, and then they're also reused on the uh, the detonator, the big nerf-launching Cobra Blue thing. Wow. Um, you know, the Earthquake uses the same wheels as the Hammerhead. So a lot of wheels were reused, you know, post-90 kind of era. 
and and then you even get into vehicles like uh, you know where you have the Barracuda or the uh, the Monster Blaster APC or the, the the Desert Scorpion, where it's it's clearly a single set of tooling, but Hasbro just ran it in two different colors and swapped up the vehicle parts before they boxed it up and shipped it out, and that's where you get different variants. You know, reverse variants for those various vehicles. These vintage Easter eggs are awesome. Probably one of the ones that I noticed that's that's bizarre to me is, and, and it's a modern one. It's the um, the mass device. The bottom of it, and it's not directly used from it. It can't be. But the bottom of the mass device has uh, half of Sonic Fighter, Supersonic Fighter Zap's gun on the bottom of it. But it's not Supersonic Fighter Zap's gun. It actually looks like somebody made a CAD model, like a 3D one on, on the computer of that gun, and then reprinted it out and used it on the bottom of there. It's It definitely looks like that's what it is, but that's not what it is. So it's kind of a weird, a weird instance of this, I guess, in the modern line, which kind of makes me wonder how often that happens with maybe just bashing stuff on a 3D level now at this point. Definitely it happens with, you know, I, I know it happens in, in things like, uh, you know, the movie industries and TV industries with 3D design where they'll go and, you know, just for lack of time, they'll go and grab, you know, certain, uh, certain ex existing models and just kind of replicate it and reuse it within the structure of something like a spaceship kind of thing. Yeah, sometimes in movies I, I hear them saying, well, we have all these assets. It's just stuff that they've built, like a couch or something, that they're mm -hmm. going to use in some big explosion. And it doesn't matter if that couch was made for a different movie. It's a 3D thing that they have, and they're not, you know, redoing couches and, and pop cans and, and debris. But, yeah, it, that makes sense. I mean, it just seems like from a Hasbro stance, you know, how did that zap gun ever end up in 3D form inside a computer? It's just kind of strange to me. I think you can see so much of the modern stuff is actually, you know, is designed in a computer, so you really don't get that that kit bashing nature where you can see, you know, part A and B are cut from, you know, item D and slapped together into one thing. So I, I, I don't think you see as much of it anywhere, really. There are, there are a few other examples, I guess, where entire pieces have been used that maybe I should mention while we're on the topic. I'm sure that listeners are probably thinking of some stuff that they know, and, you know, that's would be great, you know, if people chimed in on the forum saying, hey, I know about this, I know about that, because this seems to be one of those topics that just doesn't come up nearly enough. Um, but some of the other things maybe people are thinking of are like the uh, Hydra Soldier from the Marvel Universe line that was a Toys R Us exclusive, uses the 25th anniversary web gear that Snake Eyes had originally and ended up on, you know, Stalker and, uh, you know, tons of, tons of other figures reused that, but the Hydra Soldier had that. Um, I believe that there was Roblox minigun on a Clone Wars set, like a five-pack or a four-pack of clones, um, let me see what else I have here. Uh, I believe the, the Roblox minigun was on the box artwork for one of the, uh, the Re Republic attack ships. Okay, but did the figure come with it? I think there was a, a set of figures I could have sworn I, I saw at TJ Maxx or somewhere at some point that actually came with that gun, unless it was maybe just on the box. I thought it was just on the box of one of the Republic attack ships, but I, I don't really pay that much attention. Okay. Um, I'm kind of curious. Maybe somebody can chime in on the forum if they have a picture of that or if they know exactly whether or not I'm 
just crazy and thinking that it was actually on the figure. Um, but the Hulk Busters are something we haven't brought up yet. Obviously, those you reused some of the uh, some of the 2002 era O-ring stuff, not the vintage O-ring, but the stuff that was relatively new. Um, the, the Joe versus Coke style stuff. Yes, exactly. Uh, it reused that, and there was the Humvee that was reused. Uh, not the tooling, though, because, I mean, the front of that could be smashed by Hulk, but it was pretty clear that it was the same sculpt of a Humvee, uh, which is, you know, pretty obvious that they would just reuse that same thing since it's a real vehicle, uh, that they would reuse it there. Um, but that kind of brings me, thinking of the Marvel things, brings me to something that I'm, I'm fairly certain is what it is, but there was the cancelled concept case from JoeCon 2012 this year where we saw a really cool vehicle that, you know, had a, a driver front end, it was kind of an armored vehicle with a space for a turret up top, and a motorcycle that came out the back, and everybody kind of liked that, we thought it was cool, but... You know, it took a while to put two and two together, but I'm I'm fairly certain that that ended up being reused, concept-wise, possibly not tooling-wise, but it it definitely is the same design, just changed a little bit in the turret for the Captain America Strike Fire. So those are showing up right now. I mean, for people wanting to rate, wait for Ross and that sort of thing, those are I think twelve bucks or thirteen bucks, maybe sixteen at Ross, somewhere around there. But you know roughly $15, somewhere in there. You can pick one of those up. I've seen some great customs already, and uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that thing reused. I mean, obviously, we've we've seen uh, various vehicles reused at JoeCon. That's one that I think would, would look pretty cool. It's kind of big, though. I don't know if it would be cost-prohibitive to come out in the G.I. Joe line, but I definitely liked it. But that's not the only thing that is kind of in the canceled realm of things. Uh, I have a picture up of a vehicle for the Wolverine movie line that did not come out. And every time I say, hey, this didn't come out, people look at it and go, oh, I'm glad that thing didn't come out. But it was the, it's it's Dusty's vehicle from the Joe versus Cobra line retold so that it doesn't have the cannons that people can, there was like a two-seater cannon up top for Dusty's vehicle. But Wolverine's vehicle kind of has just a big uh, set of claws that I don't know if he was supposed to ram into things. I think maybe we covered this in a previous podcast. Um, did we cover that before? We, it's it's come up. I mean, we've I mean we've talked about it at the booth, at conventions, on the podcast, maybe even on. I think we did. It's, we might have even talked about it on what's on Joe Mind that one time. I think maybe we did talk about it on what's on Joe Mind. I think we did. So if if you didn't listen to that episode, definitely check that out. I was on it's an a, episode what's on Joe Mind. That was a lot. It's of a fun. vehicle with giant claws on the top of it. There's no reason not to keep talking about it. So yeah, this and, is true. I guess he was supposed to ramble to things. It's a great back scratcher. Very true. Very true. Every time I hear back scratcher, I just think of Family Guy. You know where he's selling them. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know that uh, that Wolverine truck or dune buggy thing is just amazingly awesome. I mean, I just wish we could get that released in the Joe line. It just looks so realistic, like it's just military accurate. It would it would be perfect for running over uh, compounds e zombies with. Just this is true. Just, this just is true. Steering them up. You can put those claws, I mean, they're adjustable. You can put them at a roughly head level and, you know, just do some uh, zombie killing. 
Sure. There's one more picture that I w- would like to mention here on the podcast. Uh, there's a picture that came to us from Toyfinity.com. Our friend John there um, had had actually shown this to me, and then I asked him, hey, could we include this? And he was like, yeah, that'd be cool. But it there, there's been a lot of talk lately about the Toxo Lab and how cool it was. Well, Hasbro actually at one point had considered reusing the entire Toxo Lab for the Titan AE line. And it was going to be called the Titan AE Final Battle Playset. And if you look at the picture that, again, should be in our show notes, thanks to Toyfinity, um, it it's, looks like it's pretty cool. It wasn't going to have like the bright colors of the Toxo Lab. I know that some people prefer that. The Toxo stuff, I kind of prefer it to be bright. But I, I, if this thing had come out, there would already be one or more of them in my collection because it looks really cool. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, almost any time you see people talking about repainting the, the Toxo Lab, they're talking about painting it in, you know, steel and blacks and, and realistic-looking colors. That's, I, could, I could see that definitely having a lot of, uh, lot of appeal. I like the uh, I like the computers and the decals and all that look really cool. I was say is is Titan AE? I mean, does they actually have like a are they in a factory or something? Or I've never seen Titan AE to know what the final battle would be. As a Joss Whedon fan, I ended up watching Titan AE because I believe he wrote or rewrote the script at some point. Yeah, he doctor he he uh, he sir he served script doctor yeah. Didn't he? Yeah, um, but I, I think that there may be, I, I'm guessing. I mean, they call it the Final Battle playset. I can't remember. I did watch the movie, but it's it's been a long time. Well, it looks like it comes with some sort of exclusive Kale figure that I don't remember from the movie, but again, it probably is in there. Or maybe that's some other figure. Maybe that's not supposed to be him with a mask on. It might be somebody else. And it almost looks like in that picture, it almost looks like he's wearing a... Uh, barbecue backpack but i could be wrong so hopefully that's not just mocked up but i, I mean that that playset would have been really awesome for people just listening that, are, that don't have the picture in front of them it is you know more subdued colors it's just silver and what is it almost looks like a copper color for most of the surfaces and like silver for all the ladders and the uh claw arm what's most interesting is that the you know the little cup is a different color you know it's not blue but it's, it's actually a a light brownish red, you know. I mean, I don't know. Other than, I mean, you can do that in Photoshop, but that doesn't really look. And at the time, it probably wasn't Photoshop because that's been quite a, quite some time. I wonder if there's almost. I mean, the, the silver looks like it's painted. I could I could believe the silver is painted, but. Um, oh, and that's speaking of the Toxo Lab, it reuses the arm from the Defiant. Nice little nice little tie-in and everything while we're talking. Oh about. yeah, it does. Oh yeah, yeah. Good point. But uh, I would I'd keep keep an eye out for that for me, Gary. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make one tonight. Thank you. I'll just, I'll just, you know, make one. The only picture I haven't talked about is one of stuff that I actually don't know what it is. But I thought that I would just take pictures of it while I was taking pictures. Oh, you know what? Ice Station Zero. I didn't mention that. Yeah, I should mention that for sure um, because it's an unproduced GI Joe Extreme thing. <laughs> And I guess I'll just mention, I don't know what well, some of this Nobody cares about G.I. Joe Extreme. Oh, yes, they do. Okay, Brian says no one cares about G.I. Joe Extreme, but I'm going into it. Because I, I, know that, I know that Jamar Miller is probably listening to our podcast right now, and he's going to disagree that he cares about G.I. Joe Extreme. I think he started uh, a G.I. Joe Extreme forum, didn't he? 
He did. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? If you watch the cartoon, you too will care. G.I. Joe Extreme is definitely kind of the... It, it, it's, it again falls in that era of G.I. Joe trying to find its way back to retail. I think we've mentioned before that, you know, Sergeant Savage was not supposed to be the replacement to the three and three quarter inch line. It was supposed to be the companion toy line. They were supposed to share the shelves together uh, and have compatibility between each other. And three and three quarter inch got canceled. Sergeant Savage did not. So they kept Savage around for a little while to buy some time before G.I. Joe Extreme came around, which was designed by Kenner. Um, one of the things that when I was putting together some pictures of this that uh, I found interesting is I always knew that Mayday from the G.I. Joe Extreme line had those skis that were also shared with Robin from the Batman the Animated Series line. Um, I think that he was from like some spy version or, or some, something of, of Batman the Animated Series. But I, I thought to myself that I would find Mayday and take a picture of that and then look in a later catalog and find Robin. It turns out that Robin actually came first. So I think Mayday actually reuses Robin parts, which is a little outside of what we were going for here. But just the opposite happened in G.I. Joe Extreme, and that Batman got something that was supposed to come out for Extreme in the uh, Ice Station Zero. Hasbro solicited in at, at Toy Fair a playset for G.I. Joe Extreme that's kind of cool called Ice Station Zero. It had a couple of guns sticking out of it, came with a few mines and some grenades and that sort of thing, and it got canceled along with the whole toy line. I don't think that I've ever actually seen a prototype of this thing other than Hasbro's original picture for it, uh, but if, if anything good came out of the Batman and Robin movie, it was the fact that that playset got made. Um, and it got released as the Ice Fortress. Of course, that theme fit very well with Mr. Freeze being in the movie. And they, you know, made the grenades in like a clear blue instead. The whole base is in a clear blue. And so if you really want that to go with your G.I. Joe Extreme figures, there it is. Uh, with Iron Claw coming out for the club, I actually kind of think that it would be cool to have some kind of playset to go with them. Um, the playset, you know, being what it is, it, it doesn't really have like seats or anything that I've noticed that make it specific to one scale. So in my mind, it just works pretty well for kind of an ice playset. Um, I've considered getting another one and painting it white to look like it was going to rather than being in this solid clear blue that it is. But it's definitely something worth taking a look at. Um, other things I think that I noted but didn't mentioned so far in the podcast were things like uh, Nick Fury from the Iron Man 2 toy line reused Beachhead's body but he didn't reuse the entire thing completely because the grenades on his belt are no longer there so they actually redid the, the sculpt and so we know it's pretty much not that same tooling I don't believe unless they somehow altered the tooling you know one way and then back again um, but there was that, and uh, the upcoming Professor X uses the San Diego Comic-Con Destro body, which is the suit. And early reviews on him, I don't have one in hand because I haven't been able to get one. Early reviews are that he, his body's not been changed from Destro, that he still has that metal T-bar, and he's still completely the same sculpt except for the head has been altered. So that pretty much covers it from things that I had noted that I that I wanted to bring up of G.I. Joe molds being reused in other places. 
Well, uh, for anyone listening, I mean, this has obviously been a lot of information to take in as usual. Uh, you know, please, uh, if you have any thoughts or questions on an episode, please post it either in the, the, the JDSO uh, sub-forum on jodyclassified.com slash forum or uh, anywhere on the forum where you think it might be relevant. But uh, I do encourage you, though, if you have anything to follow up with, uh, as Pat said, if anyone has any information that fills in some gaps or if you know of any other Easter eggs or whatever, please, by all means, just, you know, come on the forum and post it and put it out there and uh, you're, you're at least guaranteed a response because, um, you know, uh, we do we do like to ask questions and answer questions. So um, you can do that, or you can email us jdso uh, podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, if there's something you'd really like us to sort of uh, sort of breach on the podcast itself, uh, uh, Mike tapped out early, and uh, Jason tapped out early. Uh, so thank you to to both of them, especially to Jason for coming on and sharing his desert headquarter figures. And uh, is there anything else you gentlemen would like to uh, would like to cover? No, just happy to uh, be back. This is a lot of fun. Uh, I hope that people enjoy seeing all the pictures. I know I enjoyed seeing what Jason brought on. Um, those are definitely the best pictures I've ever seen of those online. Other than seeing them in person, you know, that's it's just awesome to see them again. Um, and you know, like I said, if you, if you have anything to add, please go into our forums and do that because, uh, when we're doing these podcasts, it's not quite the same as seeing you in person, uh, at the conventions. So that's kind of the closest we get to being able to converse back and forth. And we definitely will talk about it if you have something you'd like to talk about. So please do. It's always, always good to talk to y'all and, uh. It's always always fun to talk about GI Joe. No, I was just going to say, I you know I, I love doing the podcast. I, I think I learn uh, quite a bit of information every time we do one of these. Um, so just a just a good time. All right. Well, with that, we will uh, we'll say goodnight. We do have a a bunch of episodes lined up, so hopefully there won't be such a hiatus. Um, you know, between uh, between podcast episodes, like. It's just a matter of getting the uh, the guests and the content and the right cast together and uh, making sure that everything uh, works out. And a lot of it is, is photo taking and, you know, other time consuming aspects. So it's not like we want to take a long time. And as I said in the beginning of the episode, you know, Declassified was on tour for a bit. So certain collections and people were sort of uh, moving around a lot or packed up or what have you. So, I mean... Uh, Hopefully now that things have kind of settled down, uh, we can get back on track and have a few episodes lined up that, you know, make it out in a decent time. And uh, so other than that, I guess we will uh, bow out. So uh, everyone say goodnight. Good night, bitches. Good night. Joe Declassified Spec Ops.